Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson and community organizing socialist Kenny Cepeda. We are online at what-s-left.webnode.com. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, share your favorite episodes wherever you found this episode and jot down um, our information uh, where you could find us or write to us. Thank you. Um, today, uh, we will be discussing California vaccine mandates that have also been rolled out with vaccine passports or many of the passports that are in the making. Uh, and we have a special guest today, uh, Jessica from Southern California, who will be discussing with us the details of what is going on in California as we're seeing these mandates aggressively pull out all ways to be able to uh, administer or document or uh, track how people are being, um, um, how people are going to be um, utilizing the different ways of uh, digital passports or uh, the immunization cards that are beginning to be used when entering any indoor venues, as we're seeing aggressively being used here in San Francisco. Um, so uh, we're excited to be having that discussion today. Jessica, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So uh, maybe we can start off with uh, some intro or background into how uh, you started uh, on your journey or researching these, or what do you know about these um, mandates, um, fast passports that you can give us insight into, Jessica? Sure, so I came at this um, through an education lens, like during when, um, 2009, during the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, a bunch of money was printed, a very similar scenario to what we see going on today. There was a bunch of money printed, and then we innovated in all sorts of ways, uh, energy, health and tech, and education. And back in 2009, as both an educator, I've taught at the UC State and uh, community college level for a number of years, and I teach English, writing, rhetoric, critical thinking. Um, so freshman, sophomore, essentially. And when it first came in, rolled in Common Core, I, as an educator, was a little bit concerned about corporate takeover of education. And I felt like it was problematic to see kids through the lens of data, right? Um, so that was something that you know, in, initially was sort of my push into activism. And I don't even call myself an activist, but into that space where I'm watching what the government's doing with money they're printing and how they're spending it to help us. But really, ultimately, it's imprisoning us in these strange uh, digital systems. So, you know, flash forward a decade and we have a pandemic. And one of the first things that happens is this money gets printed in the trillions. It makes 2009 look like child's play. So immediately I'm reaching out to some of the people I haven't talked to, you know, for five, six, seven years. And I'm like, what are you guys thinking? This is weird. Right. And, um, what's going on. And so from there, it was just sort of a slow unfolding for us of following the money. Um, so that's what we did. And in Orange County in particular, I have a group of, there's a small group of us. Um, we're mostly moms, like with different, you know, there's a few dads too, but moms and dads, educators, but a few, you know, professionals, a few, maybe even stay at home moms that just started digging in and researching 
and are trying to get to the bottom of what's happening in our county. And it was pretty nefarious what the Orange County Healthcare Agency in conjunction with our board of supervisors brought in under the crisis of the pandemic um, and how much money came into an already wealthy county, which was interesting, right? Disproportionate amounts came into Orange County. Um, so that's sort of how we got into all of this. And then of course, with the vaccine passports, Orange County created the first app before uh, the state created one, San Francisco, uh, LA. So it was interesting, why is Orange County a conservative county, right? When you have all these conservative states that are saying, we're not doing this, no way. But for some reason, Orange County forms this partnership. And that's, you know, where we entered in is through the partnership with it's called Othena is the name of the application. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So. Yeah. And could you say something about who are some of your collaborators? Uh, or are you able to talk about who some of those yeah, folks are? So, so in terms of um, online, like in terms of who I initially was speaking with online, uh, Julianne Romanello is somebody I reached out to very early on. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Um, Allison McDowell, we initially, and another woman, Kristen Faddock, which I think you guys are all familiar with online. Um, those are some of the you know, people who back during Common Core, I actually, I didn't know Julianne back then, um, but we worked with, and we had a few pages going up, sort of fighting ed tech and that. And so those were some initial people. And then more, you know, local and close to home, uh, people in my circle of friends, uh, Laura O'Neill and Kathy Kubo. I mean, I, those names mean probably nothing to most people. So those are just, um, researchers as a lawyer, Nicole Pearson here, who we do work with. And yeah, so that's, um, those are some of the people, but it, it really is during the pan, like last year, we started having meetings, we call them living room chats, where we just got together with neighbors and friends and concerned people, anybody who wanted to meet. And we just started talking like, what's going on, right? Like, we, this isn't making sense. Things aren't adding up. Um, and so, you know, it's like one thing led to another and Orange County just happened to be very central to the vaccine verification system. Um, and I know that Allison started looking at like ed tech and like the data, the data collection and all those sorts of things like 2016, 2017 is when I first saw some of the stuff. Were you at around that same time starting to have those same concerns or even earlier? Yeah. Yeah, so we were like around that same time. Um, that's when I met Allison. And I didn't, I don't know her, like I'm not super um, close with her, meaning I'm not talking to her a lot offline, um, but online. Um, so I don't want to claim to have like some close proximity, but I have followed work for years. And then she created a, a page with another uh, teacher from Maine, Emily, who was also a blogger during that time. And it was about um, competency-based education and why that's so dangerous. And so that's where a lot of us came to know each other is through that page, which I think Allison was one of the admins on that page. I admined with Kristen Faddock, the Californians Against Common Core page. So yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And I was kind of quiet in the background. Like this is so not my, I'm never, I'm not big on public, you know, but whatever. I mean, like we have nothing to lose you guys. Like it's, you know. My, my question was going to be similar, Jessica, where it was how, when did you get started or how did you become, aware of this, what got you so 
interested to be so aware of it. I mean, you said you're a mum, and is that that was initially it, or was it just because you? I mean, it just it's. I think it's not common. I think for a lot of people who are just let's just research all this on data. A collection that they're doing on us humans from big giant techs and the government. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it was, it's funny because it's like when, when Common Core rolled out, one of the things that most interests me, which is funny because I'm so, if you ask my husband, my husband's an IT guy and I'm his worst user, right? He says uh-huh. all the time, he's like, oh God, I hope it's not a tech question, right? So I'm the least tech savvy person that I know out of my group of friends, but for some reason, the data collection and the way that they wanted to use behavioral data and that they were shifting the education system from a, you know, kind of subject-based disciplines, right, to this sort of very loose, airy, behavioral, right? We have the core districts in California. They were in our most urban cities, and they were our most um, eclectic demographic and our poorest demographics. And that's where they targeted. That's where they put in those core districts and started pushing the social-emotional. And then through the connection with Alice and McDowell's work, figuring out it's because Social emotional data changes continually over time. And if we are the new product and data is the new sort of gold mine, they can, you know, they can harvest forever off of creating changes that humans need to make in order to keep the little gambling scheme going for the markets. So that was, you know, so when this came in with the passports, I quickly, for whatever reason, I saw how strange it's health data. They're digitizing the healthcare system. What I didn't know is that during 2009, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, it put billions towards health IT, right? And I'm going to show a slide a little bit later on called Smart IT, where in 2009, at the same time they were digitizing our schools, they were also in the process of digitizing healthcare and creating um, electronic health records and getting everything about us up into the cloud, Um, in terms of our health. So I guess for me, it was that context of education that I, this rolled in and I thought something's really wrong, you know, and then I think I have kids, right. And it's like, I don't want my kids in a world where you have to ask permission to move about where you have health standards set by global entities that are really far away. And you have no say about if those things are really good for you or not, right? You just have to roll with it and show your path like a good citizen. And so. And Kenny, do you have any questions before uh, Jessica gets into the presentation? I think it'll be for later. I mean, I, I just, it's more in the line, on the lines of, you know, comparing, you know, like surveillance from like the NSA, right? Like that created an uproar, you know, in, in how, you know, these even more insidious type of surveillance, right, for market, use um is being accepted and welcomed by and large you know by many people and and so you know i'm I'm just curious maybe we'll answer that later but uh, you know like do you see a difference between those two things and and also um you know how do you speak about that you know how like what how do you reach people um you know yeah yeah no that's a difficult one but it it, you know and there is a direct 
parallel that I, I found that made sense to me. So you have the Patriot Act, right? And most of us are, this is horrific. Nobody wants that. So in April of 2020, John Ackerley, who was the technical or technology advisor for George W. Bush uh, during 9-11, he, he wrote an article early in 2020, and I have it in the presentation. I probably won't pull it up for the sake of time. But he basically talked about, you know, right now there's a lot of calls for a Patriot Act for health care, right? And you think about 2000, you know, you think about 9-11 and the, in, the invisible enemy, right, or the terrorist. And now we have a new invisible enemy, but it's in us. It's in each of us. So the thing that has to be followed and watched on an ongoing basis is us. And so Ackerley talks about how, you know, that's very, that's very un-American and it's very, um, you know, most people aren't going to stand for a Patriot Act for healthcare. But then he goes on to say, but we think we have a way to let people own their own data and have control over it and that they will choose to share it for the good, right? For the common good and for the benefit. So it's this, it's this trade-off, right? Between risk of being human and alive and um, letting powers that sort of move the world protect us versus us being willing to live in a world where we could die at any given moment, which is always the truth, right? Mm -hmm. oh. So yeah, and I guess so there's the connection is that they're, if you listen closely to what the people in control are saying, they are telling us exactly what they're doing. Just nobody listens because we're too busy fighting each other. This, uh, you can edit this out if you want, but I'm going to say this. Um, this right here is um, informed, OC Informed and United. And that is a group, a, a small group of parents, professionals, um, educators, concerned citizens that have come together over the last year. And we are working together in order to research and kind of push back against our board of supervisors in the Orange County Healthcare Agency. So I took that swish out for the rest of these, I hope. So one of the projects that we were working on, um, so tacky, um, but one of the projects we were working on is this health passports and biometric surveillance, right? And as I mentioned earlier, a lot of this came into focus for me through the work of Julianne Romanello, Allison McDowell, uh, Kristen Paddock, some of these people who had been involved in the education fight for years. So in Orange County, I'm going to just, um, they created a vaccine verification system that was funded back in April, May of 2020, which is crazy, right? We're just months into the lockdown and Orange County receives $554 million in coronavirus relief funds. And part of that money um, was going toward what they called a vaccine health passport. They don't use the word passport anymore, but that's where the money was going. So it's about 5 million, which isn't much when you have 554 million coming into an already wealthy county. But um, Orange County, um, we still can't find much of this money. In our group, we have a high level forensic accountant and we you cannot find the like all of the contracts where this money has been spent and it's government money. So everything should be available and public for us, but it's, it's not. So anyways, that's where all of this comes in. I'm gonna go 
through some of this quickly because it won't be as interesting to everybody. But one of the things that was most interesting about this vaccine verification that Orange County created was it was a small app called Othena. And they wanted Orange County citizens to believe that Othena is just a local little startup company, that it's not... Um, you know, anything big or nefarious. It's just this little tiny company right out by the spectrum in Irvine, um, California. So when you look into this more closely, Charles Rockefeller is the head of partnerships for Othena. And these four gentlemen that you see on the screen actually started um, Cura Patient Othena. So that's a little bit confusing how those names work. But essentially, Othena is our vaccination registration app, and it's powered by Cura Patient. Cura Patient is a very powerful AI health platform. So artificial intelligence health platform. So the first question I asked is, why do we need an AI health platform to run a vaccine scheduler? Right. That was one of my first questions. So we started digging into this a little bit more with our group and came up with the answer to that. So anyways, again, Charles Rockefeller, that's important later. So the app is made of three layers. And so these are how these software as a service apps work. Um, and Orange County is more advanced than what you are going to see coming in through the state verification system and through maybe even some of the smaller. I looked at San Francisco's for you guys to see what was apps were being used for your verification system. But the reason Orange County's is a little bit more sophisticated or a lot, I guess I should say, is because of the way it's layered technology. So when you think about software as a service, right, app or platform, essentially there it's an application with several applications inside of it. And each application is powerful in and of itself, but then you layer them and you create these really powerful systems. So we have Athena, which is gonna register, which has registered a lot of Orange County for vaccination. And then on the other side of Athena, once you get your vaccination, you have Cura Patient, and that is this powerful AI health platform. And it can essentially follow a person from patient under investigation, which is a PUI, and that's where you're pre-symptomatic or you're beginning to have symptoms. They can start tracking you. And the, the idea is they can track you all the way through the curve of your illness and beyond. Right. And then this is protected by Virtue. Um, this is that John Ackerley's company that I was talking about. And that's how the data is secured, follows HIPAA guidelines. And that's how they're getting away with keeping all of this data in the cloud is that they have a very powerful uh, watchdog watching it. So that's an example of what this looks like. So in terms of Orange County. Well, can um, I, can oh, I um, please, please. Yeah. Um, so first of all, does Athena, Othena mean anything? You know what? I looked it up and I, 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 I don't, I'm, and maybe somebody else is going to chime in at some point and say, oh, it means this, but I did look it up just as, as because it's, you know, it's not Athena, it's Othena. So I, I didn't see anything in particular, um, for that, but good question. And the other thing is, 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 do you have a under, do you know why it would be that the system in Orange County is so layered and integrated with these apps versus say one in, you're saying one in San Francisco or why that they would be simpler, if you will. 
You know, I the only thing I can think is that Long Nguyen, one of the gentlemen who owns Othina with Charles Rockefeller, does live in Irvine. He is based in Irvine. So one of the players is in Irvine. It could be simple as, something as simple as that. Um, but it could also be, which I, I kind of suspect, but I could be wrong, that here we're, we're a really conservative county. If you can get a vaccine verification system up and running in a conservative county, there goes California, right? So that's what I think. Um, so Jessica, Jessica, do you need to answer that call? It's okay no, if you, you know have what? to. It's, it's fine. It's, it's, um, it it's really fine. is okay if you have to. It's, it's totally fine. Um, I'm going to just turn it off because it's... it's a <laughs> All right. Well, just letting you know, because I have a small child, uh, yeah, my nephew. I... exactly what it is. It's a child. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably should if you feel like you Yes, should. no, I, I told her to um, buzz off. So <laughs> oh. <laughs> she's okay. oh, That's love right there. She's not, she's not being abducted or anything. <laughs> that's why you need a, a tracking app. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do have a question about uh, how the this um, application adheres to HIPAA. I just find it interesting, right? Because HIPAA is supposed to protect medical information, yet you know, right now we are being forced to disclose that, you know, to access like places. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of curious as to how they get away with that, or what kind of plays there. You know? So let me let me go back one slide. So. Virtru, this company, right? They adhere to all HIPAA regulations as far as I understand. Um, and again, please everybody do your own research because there might be things I'm not understanding. Like, I, you know, the caveat at the beginning, I'm not the most tech savvy person, but checking this with a couple people who are more uh, technically inclined, that this company is what's protecting, they adhere to HIPAA and government regs. It's a, it's a, you know, somebody Ackerley is somebody who worked directly as a technology advisor to Bush during 9-11 and the creation of the Patriot Act, right? So he's intimately involved in those types of scenarios. And then also the other thing that's interesting about it when we get into what is in what actually is in the QR codes and the way they are using electronic health records um, to say that we ask for them to be created and then they're ours and we own the data, then if we own it, we can share it with anybody that we choose to share it with, right? We no longer have to get permission from our doctors or from our hospitals that it's our data. We own it. They're giving it to us to own and to share um, voluntarily. The only problem with that is it's not voluntary. I don't want to share it, but I can't work unless I do. I don't want to share it, but I can't go to that concert, right? So that's that's a lot of what's happening. Then in terms of is this data being monetized through Cure a Patient, that's something we're still looking into in Orange County. And um, we are almost 100% sure it's being monetized. We just can't figure out how or exactly in what form it's being monetized. Hold on one second. I am going to get that. Give me one You're second. fine. <laughs> Yeah, you can edit this, right? That was. Oh, I'm keeping that. That, that. No. That was all about therapy. <laughs> I, ha I have a I have a 13 year old starting school tomorrow, and she wants to know if she can wear some earrings. <laughs> That's staying in the, in the uh, Yeah, she doesn't know the world's going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> <No. laughs> 
the earrings are most important right yeah now. right exactly. I love it. it's like let's see the world through those eyes um, <laughs> Yeah. So in terms of like, are they monetizing this? You know, here's, this is directly from the contract for Orange County's Cura patient. This gives us an idea of what they're after with these passports, because they will all eventually be expanded. They can track patients. They can schedule your vaccine. They can educate you. So one of the things that's happening is there's a lot of millions being dumped into educating particular demographics within Orange County to get the shot, right? And what happens if you don't? And so that, you know, there's a lot of advertising and information targeting those demographics and they'll get the app, they'll download it and they will get notices about, you know, oh no, we're having an outbreak, be scared, get vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, you know, there's all of that built in. Um, the vaccine passports, as you can see, the language has been changed in an amended contract to vaccine verification. But essentially, the, um, that was one of six items in the contract. And then the two biggies were public health and a gateway to a healthier Orange County. And this is where things get really kind of uh, 1984 creepy um, is with that gateway to a healthier Orange County. But I'm, I'm creeped out already um, by this oh. question. Um, the, uh, so then, like the education, are you saying that the AI is responsible for curating the information it gets about me to then figure out how what information it puts in front of me to move me in a particular direction is that the way this is working or right now not exactly the education that they're being targeted with are actually coming in as far as i understand they're coming in through um uh, pr agencies that are actually creating messaging around um the vaccinations. So if you think back to Common Core, right, when Common Core was pushed out to California, there was something called Knowledge Works, and that was a PR, a public relations firm, solely dedicated to producing messaging that would get buy-in from a high number of people, like the highest number of people. So they're just these really simple, like, sound bites of what's going to work to get people to do what we want. And in this case, it's vaccination. So down the road, this system, a cure patient, is training artificial intelligent agents to act as a liaison between the patient and the provider, your physician. And so there are right now two pilots. I believe they're still ongoing with Cura Patient. Um, and again, Othena is the, the scheduling app. It's built on Cura Patient, which is an AI platform. So Cura Patient, um, also the same company, Charles Rockefeller, Long Nguyen, they are running two pilots, one through the DC VA and one through the Long Beach VA. And they those pilots, you can go in and look at the contract or I can send it to you guys. And it literally explains that they're training these AI agents to uh, be able to pick up sentient, to be able to tell if a patient is not doing well. The AI agent will determine if a an in-person visit is needed or if you just need medication or an adjustment or maybe uh, some advice. If you're not taking your pills, you'll get nudges from that bot, all sorts of things. So it, it is essentially um, 
yeah, a liaison between, you know, you think the insurance companies are bad in terms of getting treatment, right? Now you have insurance companies, AI, doctors, right? So it's it's going to be a hot mess. And the interesting thing about Orange County is Orange County runs Cal Optima, which is their Medi-Cal system. So our Medi-Cal system is one and the same with the board that's passing this to track our poorest demographics, right? The people who are struggling the most and need the most assistance. Um, that safety net comes with uh, some really, really unfortunate um, elements to it, right? Because it does take away freedom and it takes away rights and it takes away access. Everything's predicated on, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Maybe a story to paint that picture that you were saying is that I have someone that I work with uh, who is a person that is a user, you know, drug user, uh, has disabilities, and this person has applied for, uh, you know, state benefits um, and occasionally has suffered from injuries. The point is that this person is kind of paranoid by people watching him, you know, because they want to make sure that he's doing, he's not lifting boxes, he's not lift, you know, doing things that he's not supposed to. The point is that you know, he's afraid of being watched and he, we have, uh, you know, a system that could potentially, you know, connect with those things, right? And, and, and watch people in more insidious, constant, you know, uh, omnipresent ways. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's not like a, it's not like just a paranoid fear. It's literally, you know, people are subjected to jumping through hoops to get benefits. Yeah. And it's, it's happening. Yeah. And it's, that's, what's so frightening, right? It's, it's, it's happening. So in the contract, I'm just going to go forward a few slides. Oh, and this the, just in exactly what you're just saying here, this is directly from the contract, right? In Orange County. So this last mile effort can be the perfect first step to having residents of Orange County sharpen their focus on their healthcare, future integrations with medical systems, healthcare apps, Apple Health, My Map My Ride, Strava, Health Technologies, Fitbit, Peloton, Insulin Pumps, Smart Watches. Yeah, I mean, there it is, right? So um, there's also a ton of money going through the counties. And I bet if you looked in San Francisco, you would find the same thing to homelessness, to drug abuse, right? There, I mean, there are expensive social issues, and they're definitely going to try to use technology in order to... Uh, save costs, but is that going to save people? I don't think so, right? So maybe, but I I doubt it because they're these these people that are suffering and actually do need help. They're going to get seen as data, not humans, and that's part of the system that I think we all need to be fighting. So um, this is just this isn't from the contract, but just for people who maybe are less savvy with tech. You know, here's your phone. Here's all of the activities that are getting tracked. Um, and then everything's stored in cloud services, right? And this is all by design been transformed to be interoperable and built to standards that can move effortlessly on the highway of the internet, right? So that we have all of these things coming into play and as technology is advancing at such a quick speed and yet we can't have conversations with our elected officials about that. I mean, if you think about even just the last couple of presidential debates, we should have been talking about nothing but technology and its potential uh, to do what it's doing. And we talk about anything, you know, everything except that I would, I would say. So, um, 
Again, this is taken directly from the Orange County um, contract, and it's essentially a um, page that shows that the patient experience is gonna move from vaccination and screening all the way to remote monitoring with devices and sensors through ongoing connectivity with care team and family. And this care team, again, it's um, an AI agent. Like a lot of that is built in AI. And I don't know why they have this on there if it's true, but uh, endorsed by Operation Warp Speed. Uh, which is sort of a fascinating little entity in and of itself if you've ever dug into that accelerator. Um, yeah. And then you have your picture, right, of Barry is not vaccinated, so he doesn't get a play. Um, and that, if you wouldn't mind going back to the other slide, because there yeah. are people who we post this out to who don't um, who don't see, but they only have to, they get to um, hear it. And I just want to point out, like, some of the data that's on that phone that they're going to be monitoring or glucose level your activity, your calories, your weight, it says medication and nutrition. And I imagine that those other Fitbit things are all the different monitors that put that information into the phone that is then sent to, um, to that AI. Right. And so what do we know? What do we know about coronavirus? Who's disproportionately affected, right? People who uh, are diabetic. And so right now, and I think Alison McDowell has been writing about this, you know, or did write about this, that there's um, impact investors just waiting at the bit to invest in, you know, diabetes, obesity, and to start gathering that data and offering to, you know, shape things up in those ways. So you have an impact investor who says, hey, I can solve this problem. They partner with the government. Um, the government pays a nominal fee for something that would be quite expensive. And then some outside consortium determines the pathway. And the individual has to stay on that pathway in order to get said services, right? So you're sick, you're desperate, you need help. Um, and you get put on a pathway. And I always tell people to think of those pathways, they call them pipelines, but I love that metaphor, right? Because that image of a pipeline, there's one way in and there's one way out, right? And everything along the way is controlled and determined. So you as a sovereign autonomous being aren't dictating your own future and where you're moving. You're being told exactly where you need to go from where you're at, right? Single pipeline, um, and you don't set you don't set the determining factors along the way. That's somebody else who does that for you. And, and not just that you don't determine it, but what does determine that outcome is really based on somebody making money out of this investment. Yeah. And that is the driver. The driver is not are you getting better? The driver is did the investor make money as a result of you going through the pipeline? Yes, and and the, the person the person determining success has a vested interest, right, in in the success of the standards that were created. So the data can be manipulated in such a way to make it seem successful. But you know, how much better off are we, right, as individuals? So, um, and I, I think back to the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. How many millions and billions of dollars have been spent on healthcare over the last ten years and technology? And it's, it, you know, has any whose lives lives have gotten better? You know, who's who has more freedom? Who has more, you know, success in their life? And it's it's I, I don't think it's the little guy, right? I don't think it's any of us. Um, 
So uh, at least from what I understand, this is kind of where, you know, the internet of things in bodies comes into play, right? Yeah. Uh, because we are connected to devices that collect our data uh, that gets, you know, sent somewhere. Yep. Uh, and just something else that I kind of looked into just sort of curiosity is, you know, how a lot of these technologies uh, have uh, the birth, their common birthplace mm -hmm. is actually places like DARPA, you know, um, because like Siri was invented by DARPA, you know, uh, the internet was invented, basically invented by DARPA. You know, a lot of these technologies, you know, when you track them, they have a military application. And then, you know, there's a lot of people making a lot of money, even like the uh, automated vehicles. That was yeah. technology that was long ago, you know, developed by DARPA that is now being monetized by people like Elon Musk, yeah. you know, and then, so my point is too that, you know, we've talked about 5G, 6G. I know Eduardo, you cringe when we bring this up, but that that has nothing to do, at least from my view, that has nothing to do with us uploading things to you know, social media. It has more to do with connecting all these devices that will be tracking us, you know, yeah. and so automation, right? Um, and so my, kind of my point is that, you know, when people sound crazy, you know, people at the beginning were saying 5G has a connection to, you know, COVID. Guess what? There is a connection. It's not direct. It's not maybe not causing it, but but maybe you should follow, you know, some of those crumbs and, and see what's really behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's certainly behind it because it's you can't move that much data on 4G. Right. Which is so even if you're just thinking of it in terms of that simplistically. So 5G and 6G are necessary. I mean, this is a massive we need massive data warehouses to hold all of this. Um, so and I don't know if we have to, we probably don't have time to get into it. But Snowflake is a really interesting company that um, it's, it's again, all of these. If you if you start paying attention, all of these little tech startups, it's usually done by two people. Right. Um, oftentimes they're best friends or brothers or siblings, and they start these companies just out of nowhere. And then within a year or two year time, they grow exponentially, like to an extent that it's, it's almost unfathomable. Um, and Snowflake is one of those companies, but essentially it's a data exchange warehouse where it sits on top of Amazon, Salesforce, and um, Microsoft, right? So those are our biggest three data warehouses, cloud-based warehouses. And Snowflake sits on top of those. And it basically pulls up data so that it can be bundled, monetized, traded, exchanged, right? And they call it a data market. Um, and it, this just happened during 2020, right? That that got off the ground. Um, and I was talking to one of our friends that's in our group. He's a he's a tech guy, and he's like, Snowflake's a little small company started up by two two guys. I think they're like best friends, blah blah blah. He's like, it's a tiny company, and he gave me a call a couple of days later. He's like, oh my gosh. He's like, wow, that blew up during 2020, and I mean, just exponentially, like, I don't know, it's huge today. So, anyways. I'm going to skip this. This is just Orange County basically said they weren't doing the passport and that they were going to pause it. I don't know if you guys heard that, that Orange County paused their passport. Uh, this is important because we still have people in Orange County going around saying that because we protested, we won and they didn't roll it out. It's, it couldn't, it couldn't be more inaccurate. There was no pause in Orange County 
they weren't ready to roll it out. And there's a couple newspaper uh, news articles in the Orange County Register and the Voice of OC, where Clayton Chow, the director of Orange County Healthcare Agency, basically said just that it's not ready to roll out. Um, the QR code for the vaccine verification was accidentally um, automatically downloaded when you signed up or once you got your second vaccine. Now you have to go in and ask for that QR code, right? That's the only thing that happened that was differently. I mean, happened differently, excuse me. So one of the biggest additions on the contract, when they said they paused it, they actually expanded it. And this is important because this is ties into both Orange County and California. But the Cura Patient platform went from 100,000 users to 3.5 million users, which is essentially all of Orange County. So we now have a platform that can manage the entire county if needed. Right. So that was an interesting move. And then the other thing that happened was it is going to now include PCR tests that will sync digitally to create a QR code. Right. So that's important. The testing and the, the vaccination status. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these slides because you guys pretty much know this. And I think everybody that will see this probably does. But how are these vaccine verifications going to roll out? Well, they're going to roll out through the mandates because once you mandate a large portion of the population to do something as a requirement for access to a public space, you have to have a way to track that, right? So Biden, you know, we have Biden doing it at the national level. We have New York and California, which are, you know, they're the most important states in all of this, because if they get these systems up and off the ground, it's going to be pushed into the rest of the country, in my opinion. I, you know, I could be wrong about that. Um, but you have, you know, New York and California both requiring it for, well, New York everywhere now. At the time I created this, it was it was just federal workers and I mean state workers, but now you have restaurants, bars, arts, right? Everything. San Francisco, you guys are very similar to New York. LA City is very similar to what's happening in San Francisco and New York. And then you have Newsom who comes out and says that California is going to have the most robust vaccine verification system in the country. Right. So what is that system? So um, one of the things I'm going to point out here is that the mandates are going to lead to a verification system, like I already said. But this is an ad floating around New York. Right. This is New York City. Proof of vaccination is required to enjoy indoor restaurants, bars, gyms, movie theaters, so on. But the new requirement is called the key to NYC. And it's like, I mean, obviously, it's like we're moving into a, a key and lock system, right? Where you and show a person of color. Well, just, right, right? It's just like, show a person of color. I mean, we are, the, we're, we are the lowest on the, um, we're the most unvaccinated. I know. And yet in the country, we're so quiet too, because we're not like, you know, the people don't make big fuss. Immigrants and people of color just don't, they don't get vaccinated as higher numbers. And here, show a person of color. We too are trying to get. Right. And I mean, I mean, if people can't, I don't know any person that's a thinking person that has even just the, the smallest grasp on history cannot see this as propaganda, right? Don't miss out. Show us your vax. Jeez, right. I, I don't, I've, 
you're not awake. You're clearly dead asleep and you've missed a lot of history lessons, right? Period, the end. But this is important, the key to New York City, because that has everything to do with a lock and key system. Your key is going to be your QR code. The locks are, you have to get verified by a trusted, um, you know, person to unlock that, which I'll talk about in a minute. So obviously, this is all going to be rolled out in the United States as a system that is over sort of managed by uh, corporations, businesses. That's why they had to shut down small businesses because they might not go along with this, right? Whereas the big corporate sort of big box stores, they can push and get them to do it. So all of these mandates where they first came out, you know, Google, Walmart, you name it, Salesforce, um, and then our schools. And one of the things that's interesting about our university system that people don't think about a lot is that, you okay, so you have the faculty and the employees of a university system or a state system. That's one thing for an institution to mandate all workers, faculty, right? But they're actually mandating it for the consumer, which is the student, right? The person who pays for their education and sometimes pays you know, exorbitant amounts in order to go. That so that is a pretty bold step in terms of mandates, right? That it's it's not just workers, it's students, and that means consumers. So now we have we've moved into a space where where organizations, whether they're public or private, can set requirements for the individual about their health. Um, so it's a little freaky. So all along in the United States, they've known they cannot mandate these vaccine verifications federally. They can't even necessarily do it at the state level. The only way to get it through is with local businesses and public-private partnerships. So that's what they're going to lean into very heavily, and that's what the mandates are about, right? We're still in an emergency um state of an emergency here in California, actually, I think across the country. I don't think there's hardly any states that have actually lifted their state of emergency. And so under that, the federal and state governments can push um, their businesses to, you know, enact these mandates. Um, so this comes, this is where this sort of gets into the meat. I'm going to, we already are clear that freedom of movement is going to be limited by the vaccines, passports, and the testing. Those are two um, ways that we are going to be controlled in this new normal that we're moving into. So who's behind the vaccine verification system? And this is where it gets a little bit heady and a little bit complicated, but I'm going to try and keep it as simple as possible. There are more global collaboratives that are at play, but what I'm going to go through right now are the top I say I'm going to go through four, and the last one I'm going to touch on very lightly. But what I'm going to show you over the next few slides is how Orange County's digital passport or verification is identical to San Francisco's, is identical to New York's, that underneath whatever app or wallet you're putting the digital ID in, or you could print it out as well, that what's there's a framework that's layered over that, and that framework is one framework, right? So that we have to be aware as you know, as people, the citizens um, that we are about to enact um, a national slash global registry for health. And so that's a big step, right? So the first one is a vaccine credential initiative. And is there a reason, like, are they trying to kind of like, by having these, uh, all these different apps have different names, 
is that an attempt to hide that sort of centralization? Or is there a reason that they're having so many different systems? You know, it's a good question. And I'm, I've thought about that before. And I'm not sure. One of two things happens, right? The technology has, there is a potential with technology and technological advancements for completely decentralized systems, right? And if we figure out a way as individuals, as local groups to use technology in a, in a decentralized way, we, we almost don't need a governing body, right? And that's scary if, if we can, for, to them, right? We, we maybe don't need to be part of their monetary system. We don't, we can exist sort of in our own um, safety nets of trust, right? That is I, what I think the governments of the world are afraid of, is that if they lose control of this technology, as if that could happen really, I mean, I don't know if it could, but if, if they did, um, they would, you know, creative destruction would abound, right? And we could, there wouldn't be Googles or uh, sales forces or, right? Because we there would be individuals who had the power to sort of innovate and invent uh, more personalized solutions that work for them in their own space and time. So I, I, that's sort of a convoluted answer, but I, I think that is what's happening is that these consortiums are forming as mechanisms of control over something that has great potential for freedom. Um, and that is worrisome to centralized sort of powerhouses, right? Um, so. With these collaboratives, there's the, the three that I'm really going to focus on are the Vaccine Credential Initiative, Smart Health Cards, and the Commons Project, which is based out of the World Economic Forum. Um, so the first thing, this was from, I, I ripped this, these quotes off from um, an article I found. Now I forget the publication, but it was some sort of privacy organization. And I, I have the link on the slide. So if you share these slides, which is fine by me, there is a link on there to the quote, but I apologize for not having the exact name because I can't see my notes right now. But one of the things to think about, we are creating a digital identity system through these vaccine verification systems. They're very complex and they are inevitably gonna alter the relationship between the individual, the state, and all of the companies and agencies who are being granted power to create them and then to implement them, right? So it's, it's, it's a transformational shift in power between the individual and the state for sure. And that if the goal of these verification systems is anything other than health, we have a serious problem. And I think what I'm about to show you is that its goal should not be the spread of a digital identity. But unfortunately, I think that is exactly why they are pushing the vaccine verification system, because it doesn't make sense otherwise. Um, okay, so the Vaccine Credential Initiative and partners is came together last year was when it first started forming and in the beginning of this it was it was um MITRE which is out of MIT uh the Commons Project Microsoft Salesforce and Oracle so those were the and Mayo was involved too so those were the main um players that were involved in the vaccine credential initiative in the last two months California, maybe three months for California, but for sure in the last month, California State and New York State have joined the Vaccine Credential Initiative. So 
basically it's a coalition of public private organizations and they always say they're committed to empowering individuals with access to their own data right it's always about empowering us to own what we already should own anyways um so this is they've come together um the governing body over this is let's see mayo miter microsoft um, the Commons Project Foundation. Those are the, probably the most important ones. And Apple is a big part of the governance body. So what this essentially does is it's created a smart health card framework. And this is the framework that governs the QR code and what gets signed inside of that QR code for the vaccine verification. Okay. So that is the framework that it's built on. And it's based on interoperable standards from the World Wide Web Consortium, which is the W3C. And um, the W3C, again, that is Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the World Wide Web. So that's, these aren't little players. Like I hope everybody that's listening understands how massive this system is. We have the person who, is essentially credited with creating the World Wide Web, helping create these standards for the first verification system of a health pandemic, right? Um, so that's who's that's who's involved with that. Um, I think if you if anybody wants to click around on this, you're going to see you know what they're about, what they're doing, news. There's a lot of information on here that I won't have time to go on into right now. But there are there are some really, you know, it's it's big players. And one of the things I want to show you really quick are the list of members, right? So everybody on this list is building their QR codes to the smart health card framework. So if I go down, you're going to see Composite app, which is the original composite app, is the the parent company of Cura Patient and Othena. So we have composite app, but we also have Cura Patient on here, which is those are both that Rockefeller company I was talking about. Mm -hmm. We have IBM, right? All of San Francisco's apps that have been approved for verification are on this list. So again, I just pointing out many ways to access these QR codes. It's the same framework governing what goes in it and how they're built, right? It's, it's standardized. Now, can different countries and different states, uh, you know, have different rules for how they're used? Absolutely, right? We might have some states that, you know, are saying, no, you, it's illegal to use a verification system in our state. You can't use it. You might have other states that say you have to use it for any time, you know, anytime you're in public with groups of more than three people, right? I mean, the rules can still be um, fluid, but uh, nonetheless, the technology is identical. And the reason they want that is interoperability, right? For the ease and transfer of data, because we're building data markets after all. Right. And this is essentially, you know, this is our first key that we need to move about publicly. And the lock is going to be put on our colleges, restaurants, bars. We have to show our key to unlock access. Right. Once we have a key and lock system, they can add other keys that are required. Right. They can add on requirements at, at will. So that's an example of that. 
Now, SMART is another crazy thing. So SMART, I'm just going to click on this really quick because I've pretty much talked about it. But these are the SMART health cards, right? And this is what they look like. If you go on to technical specifications, it's going to, you know, basically go all the way through all the technical specs about what it looks like, how you build a QR code um, that is based on the W3C verifiable credential specifications, mm. right? So everything is consolidated. Everything is uniform. Um, it's, it's one system. It, it really is one system. One of the interesting things about SMART, as I was saying, I, don't, I think that was before we started the recording, but again, with the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009-2010, when I was paying attention to education and the digitization of our school systems, uh, the investment, the Reinvestment Act was being used to create electronic health records and interoperability standards for healthcare. Right. So from 2009 to 2020, we essentially moved all it's, it's still in the process, but many, I should say, electronic health records into the cloud. And they're now stored Amazon, Microsoft and Google. And these those are, you know, our most robust uh, cloud storage systems on the planet. So there's a lot of um, legislation that's happened behind SMART that legalizes much of what's happening. And that's the thing that's a little bit frightening is that we're not paying attention to these, right? Like in 2016, depending on where you stood on the political spectrum, you may have been thrilled about some of the things going on when Obama was president, right? But one of the things that was also happening was the 21st Century Cures Act. Right. And in this act, all APIs, there's a requirement for healthcare, and that everything has to fit to SMART's standards so that all that healthcare data is now interoperable and easy to pull. There's no longer data silos. Right. And one question I have looking at this time frame of starting at the last economic crisis and, and then kind of to this to this moment where we've had our last economic, you know, our recent economic crisis that they kind of put on COVID. Um, one can imagine that, okay, well, this thing has just been progressing. Was there anything special about 2020, about the conditions that were laid out um, through, the, through the pandemic that, that, that allowed them to get through certain hurdles that were otherwise barriers? Was there something that special that happened then? Or, or have we just kind of seen us, like, in a sense, I'm asking, because there's people who would say, and I kind of think this way, it's like a plan. It was like more that the pandemic was more of an, of like almost a creation of a problem so they could solve this other problem that they had, which is like getting people all into this place or getting institutions all into this place. So since it was actually, our, it seems like there's already been progressing. Is there some kind of change or leap that was made in this last year that was only able to be accomplished through the results of lockdown and all this happened? You know, I mean, I, it's like, yeah, what comes first, the chicken or the egg kind of a question, right? And I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't think any of us can be 100% sure about the, well, I think there are probably people who are sure. Um, but I, I think it has to do with sort of a convergence of what technology can do, what it's capable of with CRISPR and all of these, you know, technologies that were emerging that most of us just walking around in our daily lives are completely unaware of. Right. Um, what a artificial intelligence, how quickly things are moving in that area, 
sing the possibility of singularity, right? It's like all of that's coming into play. But um, yeah, I don't, I look at it this way, like with the education stuff that could you have closed schools for a year had we not digitized much of the curriculum and much of education? No, right? That wouldn't have been possible. So it's like, does, did all of that, you know, are we at, we're at a time where that happens because it's planned, because we're ready for it, because it's the next sort of uh, iteration of a scheme that's ongoing, or is it don't let a you know crisis go to waste moment? I and I don't know, like I don't know, but either way, they are certainly um, pushing forward very hard with the agenda, right? There, there's no doubt about that, and that uh, the pandemic has been an occasion to push through many things that were, you know, in the wings about to happen anyways. And I guess the difference is, is you don't have to get buy-in, right? Like in Orange County, what's happening with the AI and the surveillance is that they're not asking anybody permission, right? Um, they're just going to do it under uh, an emergency scenario. They don't have to ask permission. Um, and they don't have to get buy-in through having a system that's beneficial, right? Because if these systems were as good as they say they are, people would want them. But I can have all of these apps on my phone and I can use them to monitor myself. Why do I need a government, government entity or a corporation helping with that, right? I mean, why can't I just share the data with my physician individually? So I don't know if that was a good answer, but I understand what you're asking. And I think I, I, um, I don't know, like, to be honest, I think it's a little of both. But there's no way there's not a plan. I mean, you look at it, it's there's clearly a plan. So how is it that SMART got, um, is, is the one organization building the standards for the QR code? Is that an accident? Absolutely not, right? Is it an accident that Orange County's app uses SMART for their QR code? No. Is it an accident that Governor Newsom, when he announced his, it's a SMART health card? That's what I mean. It's identical, right? It's the same system. So, um, so now we get to the verifier. So you have your, um, let me see if that next slide yeah, I'll just go here first is probably, you have SMART, which is your QR code, right? These are the standards for that QR code. Well, now you need a trusted verifier. I can't just hover my phone over your QR code and unlock it, right? Because it's got a private signature inside of it. And that private signature comes from, if you download it from Epic, from your health records, if you download it through myturn.gov, right, it's got a state signature in it, and you have to have a special app to read that. So the Commons Project is the trusted verifier. And this is where it got interesting for me with Orange County, because what is what is the Commons Pass, right? So the Commons Project is a Rockefeller-funded initiative. It's a non you know, nonprofit organization, and their whole purpose is unlocking the full potential of technology and data for the common good. So what they've built, they have three projects. Um, let me see if they're on here. They have Common Health, right, which is one of them. And this is going to be similar to what I think Orange County is doing, where it's a health ecosystem, where ecosystem, where it's able to track you at the level of your 
internet of things kind of stuff, right? And so this is in partnership um, with the University of San Francisco. And then you also have out of the Commons project, they made a Commons pass, which is similar to um, what Othena did for Orange County, where this is the QR code. And this is also built with a smart framework. Okay, so the other project, and this is the one that matters to us in California, is you have the smart health card verifier. And so if you look back at any of the articles that were published when Governor Newsom announced that we were going to have a vaccine verification system, all of those articles talk about, I think, you know, SACB had one. I mean, there were many, but Los Angeles Times, and they all mentioned the smart health cards. And then they said there is a nonprofit organization called the Commons Project that is going to verify the QR code. So on one hand, you have the creation of the code itself, the key, and then you have the app that can unlock the key. So I listen to political people, you know, governors, mayors, et cetera, speak on the news. And they always say things like, oh, it's going to be so expensive for businesses to get this system off the ground. No. It's not. It's been built. It exists. It's a matter. It's as easy as downloading an app. And that's what that smart transformation over the last decade has done for us. Right. We don't have to have these expensive systems because it's all cloud based technology built to interoperable standards. And so let's say, you know, my gym down the street wants to start passports. They make me download the QR code, they download the verifier, and we're good to go. You scan on your way in. You don't even necessarily need a human being standing there to scan, right? And then they have ways where they can have multiple scanners, you know, at a sports arena or a concert. You can imagine people just click, 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 right? A subway, all sorts of things. So that's, that is the Commons app. So this is San Francisco. So, and you guys might have some questions here. So this was posted August 20, 2021. And this is just stating that you are going to have to have a digital vaccine card. And here are the list of companies. If you choose not to use my vaccine record.gov, which is the state's uh, QR code. And if you download it from there, you're, again, it's a smart QR code that you're getting onto your phone and it's going to go into your wallet, right? If you want to have an app, you can download Bindle, Clear Health Pass, Commons Pass, Vax Yes, UC Health, or MyChart, right? If you look at the list under the Vaccine Credential Initiative of Members, which I check this against that list, all of these are members of the Vaccine Credential Initiative. So again, we've created one verification system, but it looks like there's many and that's why we feel like, oh, big deal. I'm just going to download this one. I'll delete it if I want. And that's, in some ways, that's, I was looking, I'm thinking about that term, trusted verifier. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, what are they, what are they, what they're trying to say is I have my personal information. I'm handing it over to them. I'm calling them the trusted verifier. They're trusted because essentially they're trusted not to give it to you, a complete stranger, mm -hmm. but I'm giving it over to them. I mean, yep. that's that's the part of this game here. Like we're giving, we basically, in a situation where previously we didn't have to tell them certain things about ourselves in order to be ac 
access to things. And now we're saying that, well, we're going to essentially give that up. We're going to kind of like let, let these institutions, whether they be corporate or state, they're these, they're the trust. That's what the, the adjective trusted is affixed to them. And yeah, it's not about not, them yeah. trusting us. It's are we trustworthy? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> this corporate entity will decide. Right. And I'm, I mean, people do that with like their Fitbits where they, where they partner up and they share like who's, how many steps they walk and things like that. And like, People can trust each other with the information if they choose to share such a thing. But what they're saying is, no, we're we're going to not share with anybody. We're not going to, but we're, you have to give it to us. And it's like there's this, this giant gorilla of who can, who's the last institutions that can be trusted are the ones who are saying we all got to come through you to to get someplace. Right. Yep. And and who's you know what's going to happen when you want to travel internationally? When you want to go, you know, even travel across states? It's like if you have a small app company that created it, that it's a little safer, more protected, but they're not part of this trust network, you're going to be locked out, right? And so that's where the consolidation of power, I think, becomes problematic. I was just going to say, I was listening to KPFA, mainstream, I, I consider, they consider themselves to be alternative here in the Bay Area, but I consider them to be leftist mainstream now. So the host of this radio show was saying that if he visits uh, uh, New York, that he would have to get the 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 app um um pass for uh, the airline then the excelsior pass for nyc and the whole his his where his town is the the the, the local no, um, that's what's crazy about no so there is these passes are interoperable so if I'm part of one of these trust network, right? Like if I have the smart health card, I can go to New York. And even though theirs is the Exclusier pass built by IBM, it's built to the same technical standards. So they're there and they're using probably, I haven't checked that, but I'm almost, I'd almost say hundred percent sure that their verifier is going to be the commons uh, app verifier. It can read my pass. It's one pass. They are trying to create an interoperable system that is seamless. So it's it's one path. And, and right now, the only thing that's in that code, that key, is that I have been vaccinated and that I've had both, you know, one and two of the Pfizer Moderna or one of the J and J, and that I'm not due for a booster. That's the only thing that's in it. And then my name, my birth date, and a biometric, some sort of biometric identification. And if the pass I'm using, the, the key I'm using isn't a blockchain biometric ID, I might have to show a driver's license. So, yeah, it's it's one. I'm not sure if this is the moment to ask that, but, I mean, one one of the common counters or questions that I get is that, um, you know, in order to go to certain countries, you have to show vaccinations, right? In uh, in a passport, you know. So some people seem unalarmed. So what would you tell those people? Why is this different? Well, I mean, I I think what what is it? Is it yellow fever that's the main right that for certain countries? And then there's there's some other. Um, yeah. Malaria, I think. Malaria, and right. So, so there's a number of them. So, um, I, I think the, the difference is 
that it's what I can see is that this is a couple of things. One, this is an ongoing crisis that doesn't seem like it's going to end, right? That we're going, we now have the technology to pick up viruses, their variants uh, ad infinitum, right? So that they get to set whatever standards they want for global health. We have no control over that. Um, so therefore we have no control over whatever solution they come up with. If it's an injection, if it's a, a quarantine, um, that we have no control over that. So that's one thing, right? With all the other ones, um, it's, you show you're vaccinated, it's done, it's over, right? There's not this ongoing crisis attached to it. And then, um, you know, I guess the, the, I guess that's my biggest concern. And then the other thing is that this is, I, you know, I know this is really sort of a, a risky thing to say because there's so much heated debate around it, but this is, if treated and managed properly, a highly survivable illness, right? Um, and even the World Health Organization came out last September and said, this is in fact, one of our least deadly pandemics to date. Um, it doesn't look that way because of the flaws in the PCR test, right? But it was it was not sensitive sensitive enough to differentiate between pneumonia, influenza A and B, and then coronavirus, which now they're you know expiring that, and they do have more sensitive tests coming in. Will that be to our benefit? Maybe, but it doesn't change the fact that they can test us indefinitely, ongoing and use um, the need to monitor for health crisis as an occasion to control movement. That's the problem I see. Yeah, and also, I don't think people understand when they invoke this model that's kind of like, as if, as if we want a local grocery store to be like Australia, you know, like literally a, a prison, not, I don't mean it, but like literally saying, oh, this, our, we should think of our grocery stores or a restaurant as little mini countries that actually uh, things coming through them should be considered dangerous. So they have to be monitored at the door. Like yeah. the level of control that we are submitting ourselves to, if we start to conceive of each of these institutions where we might've thought if we had a freedom here, and I think under capitalism, I think there's very limited freedom for workers yeah. in general. But if you thought of it, you could have at least said, we are free to move about. Well, you're now saying no, you're now every, Every institution, every place that they are, they're saying needs a pa passport or a QR code now becomes um, like a separate country that actually sees everyone outside of it as possibly dangerous. So we have to regulate your entrance into it. So think of yourself as living inside of that kind of, I mean, that becomes much more like a prison than, than, a, than a place where you move freely about. Exactly. And then add to that, that you yourself as, as sort of your own sovereign being, that you are not able to identify whether or not you're a risk. Only the technology is capable of telling you whether or not you are po a possible risk. So this whole idea of asymptomatic spread is also a really um, problematic thread that's, you know, woven through all of this, which is different than other, right, diseases that we've vaccinated for in the past, but it's, it's a huge issue, um, which is obviously the science isn't settled, although they would like us to believe it is. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So this right here is just a map to show, this is the Commons uh, Project Trust Network. 
and partnering countries. And th this is a map I found that goes over where vaccine is mandatory, right? Vaccination is mandatory. And I just thought it was an interesting overlap, right? Between especially the United States, France, Italy, Greece, right? And the UK, that there, there really is an overlay between where these networks are going up and where vaccination is mandatory. Um, so there's some there's some interesting sort of and this is you know this dates back to July of 2021. So this map may have changed some. This is current for the Commons project, but that's that's a large portion of the world that's built into this network already. So that if people would understand, this isn't small scale single app. This is an, this is a very massive framework that we're erecting without public debate or question. And right. And one thing to point out, and it's very interesting to look at Australia there, which is a part of the Commons Project Trust Network, but it, Australia apparently doesn't opt for or have mandatory vaccinations, but they are going through a furious lockdown right now, which is going to lay the basis for, well, if you want out of this, we've got to start mandating. And there they are. You can see that the, the, you, all you have to do is see that green color of the Commons Project to understand why they're, why they're just, just, you know, pelting them with the lockdown yeah yeah so that was that was it's it's a telling comparison right um okay so this is where we get into the id 2020 so what we've gone through so far is a vaccine credential initiative which created the smart health card right which is your your qr code and then the commons project which is the verifying app right um so the larger umbrella that sort of is over both of this is something called the Good Health Pass Collaborative. And this is a collaborative that is global in nature. Um, I'll show you the players in the, on the next slide. But the idea is, is that there are uh, certain uh, standards that we're going to need to meet for global health reasons moving forward. Right. And so the, this collaborative is going to have a lot of say in how we're able to move about um, and what uh, requirements we're going to need to meet as, uh, you know, global citizens. So this collaborative, the Good Health Pass, was launched by ID2020 um, and Gavi. And the people under ID2020 is UNICEF, the World Health Organization, the World Bank, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, those are permanent seats on the board of ID2020. So again, the Good Health Pass is an initiative out of ID2020. So when you think about that, you're like, oh, this is huge, right? In terms of organizational structure and power behind it. Um, there's a lot of things that happen around ID2020 and Gavi that um, changes, but the things that don't change are those four seat holders, right? Um, and that's an incredible amount of power that's that's behind the Good Health Pass. So I don't know if you guys want to watch this now, but there's a, this is, it's probably important. It's a, I think it's a three or four minute clip and it is what ID 2020 is all about, which is digital identity, right? And that's where we're trying to get to with these vaccine verification systems is that we aren't just interested in um, making sure that people are free of coronavirus. We actually are trying to have a secondary or maybe the primary goal is a unique digital identity for every individual on the planet, which is what ID 2020 was set up to do. Let's take a look at it. Okay. 
Um, and this, by the way, is when you click on that, this is going to Accenture. Accenture is a, you know, they're a consult technical consulting company, but they built my turn for California. It was like a $17 million contract. And that is the scheduler for California, how we have Othena in Orange County to schedule vaccines. You could also go to uh, my turn. And that website was built by Accenture. So this is, um, Accenture's explanation of ID 2020, and they work hand in hand with ID 2020. So yeah, so this is it, and I will see if I can. Who are you? This is a question that often comes up in our daily lives. Whether we're boarding a plane, checking our bank balance, or paying a utility bill, we regularly have to prove we are who we say we are. However, more than one billion people across the globe cannot prove who they are with any certainty. Many of those have never had a form of verifiable ID to begin with, and more than 15 million were victims of identity theft last year alone. With this in mind, we have developed a unique digital identity prototype to modernize identity management for organizations and individuals. Leveraging the power of blockchain and biometrics, the system makes establishing, tracking, and managing digital identities more efficient, user-friendly, secure, and less open to fraud. Let's follow Yosef as he establishes and builds his identity. At an enrollment station, his biometrics are securely captured through his fingerprints, voice, face, or an iris scan. Then several steps are taken to create a unique identifier using multiple security protocols. This identifier is then recorded on the blockchain, which acts as an index with links to all applicable data. This makes it easy to locate, access, and share information without Yosef's personal data being stored on the blockchain. Using an application on his phone, Yosef creates a personal profile that's multi-factored and authentication secured. The app allows Yosef to generate his own set of public and private keys, which he can use to sign the data he sends to others. That way, third parties can be absolutely certain the information is his. Yosef shares the public key using a QR code. When he scans this QR code at the enrollment station, an official attestation is added to his profile and signed by a private key. This is the beginning of Yosef's living identity, an identity that he will build with each stamp he collects from his university, his employer, or from government and non-government agencies. The major benefit of this identity system is that Yosef is always in control of his own personal data. He determines which information is shared, who sees it, and for how long. Instead of multiple paper documents, he can use a single, easy-to-manage app. The system makes life easier for organizations too. It's interoperable with other databases, so existing identity data stays put. Efficiency for background checks is greatly improved as an organization can choose to trust existing attestations instead of repeating the process. For additional security, there's also the option of checking data at source if the user grants permission. The system is also flexible. While this prototype has been created for a mobile device, the technology can work with or without connected devices. This prototype is the basis for our work with ID2020, a public-private partnership committed to providing a digital identity to the 1.2 billion individuals living without a way to prove their existence. We believe it's the first step towards a digital identity that makes answering the question, who are you? As simple as saying, I am. Maybe people would want, I'd be curious, Eduardo and Kenny, what you, what you thought of that. For me, it just, it's so 
it tricks people so well with just the images and making it manageable and the cleanliness of just, or the, the clean way of presenting it, how all of this complex way of dealing with the pandemic and dealing with all of our identity cards and all of our papers can be sorted out in just one easy way and access to be able to go anywhere. Um, as if this is the solution to all of our, um, I don't know, papers and problems to documentation. It's it's really unfortunate. And I think a lot of people will buy into it. And um, the, we've talked in this show as to, you know, when I hear mainstream uh, news um, and if, you know, everyone is in sync at pushing something, you know, then I automatically take it as a lie. Um, and so, you know, when I see this, uh, you know, I, I, I asked the questions and what's really behind it, obviously, um, they're selling us privacy, they're selling us self-determination um, and uh, obviously access right to some stuff, uh, especially the most vulnerable. I think that's been very important in, during the pandemic that they weaponized that, um, that conversation of, you know, we got to protect the most vulnerable. You know, uh, also, you know, a lot of liberal progressive, uh, you know, uh, the frame of analyzing the world that, you know, we need to uplift the, mo the people that are outside. But this to me is not about uplifting people. This is about adding people to the market system that is going to monetize the data, you know. And so it's, it's about tapping into the, the biggest commodity that's, you know, that's out there right now because data is more expensive than oil, right? Like, and, and so it's important to bring those people that are outside uh, you know, these frame into the fold to make money ultimately, you know, in simple terms. So it's not about privacy. It's not about benevolence or incorporating people into the system. It's about exploiting like our bio data, you know, our biometric data um, and monetizing that ultimately in, in some way or shape or form. And, and, and also obviously social control and borders, uh, you know, like we talked a second ago that, you know, in order to, um, squeeze every little bit of uh, data you have to surveil people and you know these people are a waste to capitalism at least from my point of view yeah human capital right it's, yeah. it's, and and remember keep in mind that id 2020 is out of gavi right and the whole point of gavi is vaccinating you know saving humanity through vaccination i mean that is that is the primary goal right it's they say health but by health they mean vaccination you know and this is i think it was allison mcdowell who right, talked about and if, if i'm wrong on that sorry allison but uh macro eyes with um you know in africa where they actually have a satellite system that is attempting to track kids to make sure they don't fall off the vaccine schedule and it's such a it's such a bizarre phenomenon if people would think about um just sort of sort of autonomy and people living locally and people living tribally and in their own communities that it's like these they're not necessarily begging for vaccinations right they they don't necessarily want to be injected in fact in a lot of these countries and places where they've experimented most heavily they're terrified of what's coming in under the pandemic and if people would wake up to that you know the way that we are destroying life through synthetic solutions. Right. And the thing that is interesting to me was first that essential question that is posed by this thing of who am I? 
that's a college question that you're supposed to kind of like ponder like Socrates, you know, like you're supposed to kind of like, it's not supposed to have an answer in some ways. It's supposed to be something that's on, like if it, if it means anything in terms of how we understand humanity and, and being human, it's, it's an unanswerable question for a person. And here they're trying to provide an answer through a collection of data that is like these little boxes. And the, you are, you, you aren't anyone until there's an institution that can tell you, you are that person because, and, and what do they say? They, they, they kind of say, Oh, well, because of identity theft, we're saving it. And that's just such a false thing. Like identity theft is this thing where like we're, we're spending our, our days worrying about my identity being stolen. I get, you know, my, if my credit card has weird shit happens, the credit company pays for that shit and replace that. It's not my problem. It's your problem. And, and this is what I see them doing is like, again, creating little weird boogeymen that don't even aren't even problems to just herd everyone through this thing where the only thing I could see here was how it, it made a clear case for how convenient the interoperable, how the interoperable data is for institutions that need to, that we need to, we need to confirm who you, it's like, who are you? That's really the question here. Who are you? Like, and that's how it's being posed. Um, and, and finally, like, there was one of the boxes was education. And like, when we think of education, we think of a transcript, but now that box in that education box is not just a transcript. It's everything you've, all the work you've done from grade, you know, kindergarten all the way up to whatever age you are, it's all in there. Like it's all blockchain. It's all, in, and, and, and it's just about whether or not a person can give an, an institution, can give an excuse to access it. And they don't need to have an excuse. They want to know who you are. So we're going to go dig and find out, find that out. And it's, it's extremely menacing, but it does frustrate like Eduardo that they're able to like put this rainbow color of people there to make it seem like it's, you know, uh, like it's something for all of us. Um, I do think they'll get at one level, they get away with it, but it's, it's just intensely menacing. Well, and I think the thing that's so that people should be so concerned with right now is that okay so they're okay so we things are moving into digital spaces right and so we we need a way to verify that we are who we say we are and that businesses people interactions right that there's some sort of digital ver verification system that that makes sense like you can almost wrap your head around that and say yeah all right so let's let's go with that but the fact that this is coming in um so quickly under sort of you know, the cover of a crisis and that we're being, we have, we must do it in order to save humanity. Right. And the first key that we're using in the United States or, you know, throughout the world is proof that you do not carry a disease that you cannot possibly tell if you have on your own. You need some big tech company to run a test to tell you if you are in fact sick or not sick. Right. And so it's like that that's the first key we're going to build. What kind of system is this going to be? Mm -hmm. Right. And then when you think about AI, that we're building artificial intelligence systems that are actually really they're militarized. Right. And that that we are going to have the cruelest AI trains. You know, it's it's trains based on what you feed it. So if we're feeding these AI systems with contact tracing, keeping people separate, help, it's like these AI systems then are going to be trained for those things. It's like, you, where's the benevolence? Where's the humanity? Um, AI only knows what you feed it, right? So 
it's something to consider. And yet we can't even have these conversations because you sound crazy, right? If you start talking about that stuff and that's the unfortunate thing. And, um, I mean, there's, we're just skimming the surface of a conversation that, you know, we could wade deep into, but it's, it at least paints a picture of who's connected and who's playing a part in these systems. And I think, you know, these are just some of the slides. I'm going to go through them quickly. This is right off of the Good Health Pass. So again, ID2020 launched the Good Health Pass and their whole goal is to make sure we know who you are, that when you get this shot or test, notice it's a test, that we have a way to authenticate your identity, that your identity then is verified and by a trust network, you are who you say you are and you are, uh, you meet the standards for access to wherever it is you're trying to get into, right? So that's, um, that's where this is going. And then one of the things, oops, yeah, on this slide, one of the things that came up um, in, the, in the call for the workers and educators group, um, oh, sorry, accountables, on there wrong. But one of the things that uh, came up is this idea of right now what's happening is there's a mad rush for attestations, for people to attest to whether or not they've been vaccinated. And you've been given a certain date to do that by, right? And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I, you know, spin in some circles with some that are just baffled by what's happening right now. But, you know, in some ways, these personal attestations are you giving permission for them to have this information. And if you give it at the level of sort of a personal attestation where you take my word for it, that's quickly acclimating us to the need for a credentialed attestation, which eventually leads into a pass, right? And that's where all of this is headed, right? And it's it's there is no mistake that when Disney first opened, I don't know if you guys were you're Northern California, but when they first opened, one of the big things was everybody was so excited because they were going to let you self-attest to whether or not you were vaccinated. And if you self attested that you were, you didn't have to wear the mask, right? And everybody's like, oh, that's so cool. If they're just letting us say, then who cares, right? We'll say whatever we want. Um, so that, you know, that quickly got replaced by a narrative of, but we need more trust because now we have variants, right? And so we have to now have a way to ensure that you are, your vaccination status is as you claim. Um, so anyways, those are, those are the major consortiums playing a part in California. And this right here is the testing, because this comes up a lot, right? Because what are our, our alternatives as teachers right now? Is that you either vaccinate or you test. So I threw this slide in because I thought you guys might be interested to see it. This is a link to RADx and RADx digital, um, digital health platforms. And RADx is essentially, I'm going to pull this up real quick. RADx is essentially the National Institute of Health. And at the beginning of the lockdowns, they were given, what was it, um, $787 billion. No, 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 sorry, that's wrong. Is that right? I don't have the funds written down, but it was, it was, it was bordering billions, right, of money that came from the CARES Act and went to testing. And so I'll just take you to a couple of slides. Let me see, there was a few, this is 134 pages long, but essentially is what it is. It's um, Radix is, is a rapid accelerator 
of research and development. And so what are they accelerating? They're accelerating their ability to test us for coronavirus and other potential, potentially lethal viruses that may hit humanity at any given point in time that we need to watch out for. Um, so, and again, these are our most prestigious institutions, uh, educational institutions, government, and um, philanthropies coming together for this. This is the first slide. So throughout the country, they built three uh, RADx coordination centers. These are consortiums where all the data is gathered and they keep track of all of the research going on for testing. There's one in California, San Diego, um, you have Duke, and then you have Boston. Um, so those are the big consortiums where they're storing all of this testing data and they're keeping track of all of the research and development that's happening around the country. So that's an important one. Also, you guys are aware that we built in California our own uh, testing facility in Valencia in Los Angeles. Um, Newsom spent, I think it was like a $1.4 billion contract that he entered into with Perkin Elmer to, uh, you know, test he wanted to test 100,000 people a day by early 2021, um, and that is still up and running. And when it, Newsom cut the ribbon on that grand opening, he said, you know, the reason we spent, it was $200 million that he spent for this 46,000 square foot testing facility. And when that happened, he said, the reason we're spending this money while this virus may go away, communicable diseases are part of the new normal. They're not going away. So he's going to have to keep his eye out on us. So anyway, so I'll just show you really quickly. Um, Honestly, what you're doing in itself, I think, is like kind of limiting to be able to access this information. Um, you know, and, you know, we live supposedly in an open society, right? Like that shares information. And a lot of these orgs do give you the information, but it's just so much to take in. It is know? so much, right? And it's like, and who wants to do this, right? Who wants... Who's going to pay attention to this? That this it, that's the problem, right? It's like um, it, neurotic, weird people that sit up late on their phones are going to do this, right? Um, yes, like my husband comes in the house and I'm like, oh God, I feel I can feel your energy before I even get in the door. You're busy. You're busy, right? <laughs> You're going. I don't like it. Um, but these are, you know, here's data elements of what they're collecting as they collect testing. So these are just some of the data elements that are going in age, sex, education, right? Disability status, medical history. This is tier one minimum for all of these testing requirements. Um, your symptoms, your health status. And it, I mean, it just goes on. Like people can go to this and look. Um, nicotine use, alcohol use, right? It's like, and then we get it, like some really personal data is getting collected on this, um, which is, it gets a little crazy. Um, these are the awards, 49 awards, and they go from everything from like saliva-based testing to um, uh, waste testing. We have a waste facility where they test our, our, our toilet waste, right? Um, our sewage for coronavirus, pool testing, um, scent, uh, rapid smell tests. Like there's all sorts of tests that have won. I mean, awards that have been given for different types of testing. And this is all for coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, they have expanded uh, into other areas of testing 
here's a, you can kind of see where things are awarded and it's definitely on both coasts where we're most heavily winning awards for these types of testing but it, you know here's the types of testing wastewater biosensor detection novel biosensing um, yeah multimodal surveillance i mean you name it it's happening and it's happening without our consent without our input without um any of our Prevail Kids is an interesting one, but it's all. I'm just, one one that's confusing me is I don't really understand the scent one. Like who's doing the smelling? Uh, there, I, you, well, because with coronavirus, remember a lot of it is you lose your sense of taste. Oh. So there is a lot of like uh, research and development going on behind that because it's neurological. I think is what they're doing is they're they're attempting to map like the brain is, is like and understand that better because whenever those come into play unless you're just heavily congested, right? Yeah. But there's something neurological going yeah. on. I see. Okay. I think that that's where that comes in. And if you click, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm not going to do this now, but if you look at the awards page and you look up these companies that are winning, it's mind blowing what can be done with technology. And, you know, to the question earlier, was this, was this planned or are we just at a time in history where technology, because it's, possible with technology to do these things we're doing it right and we're trying as a country to stay ahead of other countries i don't know right but there's there's a lot going on so anyways that's that's important because the other part of this scenario right is that you are going to be vaccinated or tested and i'm understanding what's being built is so that it's going to be used indefinitely that if we allow these systems to get off the ground, I don't know if we will ever live in a world where we get to walk around without proving. And that's the language that they use, that you have to prove your health and wellness, right? That I don't just get to go. I have to prove I'm healthy. Just like I have to prove I am who I say I am, right? Mm -hmm. To move in digital environment. And so in terms of all of this, like I think you have all of this health stuff, right? And I, Alison McDowell, and some of her blog posts, it's like I've noticed there's a little bit like she gets a little bit frustrated because she's like, if you're just paying attention to the health side of this, you're missing the bigger picture. And I don't claim to really understand uh, entirely the bigger picture, but I think is where it's going is all that data collection. Right. Um, and that data is very lucrative. It's going to be bundled and monetized and that we are the new product in the 21st century, our bodies. Right. That's what they're mining next. So this real quick, this is the um, Broad Institute in partnership with the African Center of Excellence for Genomics and Infectious Disease. They came together um, at the beginning of the pandemic and accelerated a program that they already had going and the program was to build sentinel which is an early detection system for viral outbreaks so their whole goal is to preempt the next uh pandemic before it happens logically the only way to do that is to create a surveillance surveillance right. system that tracks humans on an ongoing basis right so that's um that's sort of that. So, um, no, I was just going to say in terms of where, you know, all of this then is going is toward, uh, like we were saying, like data mining. So back to Orange County, right? When Orange County brought in Othena, one of the ways that it was impact, right? 
And my guess is, is that the contract with Othena, Othena comes into Orange County and they say, we can guarantee you 85% vaccination rate by this day or 70% or, you know, that is the impact we're talking about. And so it's a private public partnership where they've, the government has partnered with a corporation to get the people to do one thing or another, right? And at the outcome, Othena is going to benefit because the county healthcare agency will pay them a nominal, you know, award, but they'll have access to all of this data. And I think that's where they're getting paid is with all of the health data. So in Orange County, we have brought in the Social Progress Index, which is out of the United Nations. It's another Rockefeller-funded um, uh, index that measures people's experience in society based on sort of psychological standing rather than um, uh, GDP. Like your, your health as a community is not dependent on whether or not you produce a lot, you're, you know, financially, like you're successful in terms of product, but that you feel that you are free, that you have justice, that you have, right? So it's a way to create equity um, in terms of social emotional well-being. And so the index is going to track, we're starting with our Latino community, which of course, right, it's like, um, we're going to, you know, and they weren't asked, nobody in the community was asked, nobody knows about it. Um, we're translating this into Spanish too, to get it out and to like, let people know that this like push back, right? Say no, don't let them have your data. That's where all this is going, essentially, right? And we're creating these social impact bonds and pathways to success. And that, you know, and this is the work of, you know, for anybody that's listening that wants to wrap their head around this, uh, Julianne Romanello and Allison McDowell. You can find them both um, online. Uh, Wrench in the Gears for Allison McDowell and Hearts Over Hexagons for Julianne Romanello. But they they pretty much write exclusively about um, these things. And um, but it's again, it's what I just explained, where you have a corporation partners with the county government, and they make a deal to get the people to do A, B, or C by a certain date to these standards and your autonomy as an individual is greatly reduced. So, and and you essentially, the, we will lose what, whether or not these these uh, investors hit their targets, and you know, or whether they don't. Like in both ends, um, we're going to feel the pressure of that of that event. Like yeah. it's and it's not going to be related to like, oh, do we need this for a better life? It's going to be related to like stock ledgers and, um, you know, going up or going down and that, and, and whether or not the stock goes up or down, we're going to experience the pressure from these, uh, from that push, which is, which is running society. It's a profit system. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I did, we, we went, our group went and we uh, were speaking, uh, trying to speak to more people in the Latino community, Hispanics community and, you know, get word out and just say, hey, the county is really after you guys right now. And they're after you in a big way and your services um, and are going to be attached to certain uh, technologies. And like you, you want to resist this as much as you can. And one of the people was saying that, you know, what's crazy is that you, you can drive through my my city, my town, and you can know just with your own eyes that there's inequity and there's a disproportionate amount of um, sort of 
wealth flowing through this area. You don't need a whole data system to tell you that, right? You can look in the kid of the eyes of a child and know if they're okay. Um, but this idea that somehow data is the magic key that's going to unlock our well-being, it's like that's the narrative we need to get ahead of. Data can never tell us more than looking somebody in the eye. And it's not a solution for humanity's um, problems, right? It's really, it's not. And it can't fix what's broken. Yeah. And unfortunately, it, it um, is, is going to be a form of government that is insane. You know, and I used to always think, I'll say this, and this might be a dumb thing to say, but what the heck. Um, I used to always think of this idea of like one world government and all that conspiracy and ridiculousness, right? I'm like, that's, I'm staying away from all of that. But it's like the, the, the more I watch this unfold, it's like I do understand the one world government is smart contracts and it's digital. Right. And that everything is going to be accessed through these digital spaces. And so if we don't have the right keys to access what we need, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. The, the question I was going to actually ask is about China. And does China work through the common pass system? Like, are they working through these verifiers and data harvesters or collectors uh, credentialing things? Does China have that system or do they have their own system? You know, I, I was actually trying to figure that out um, before this talk. And there might be somebody who will chime in that sees this that will know more than I do. But from, from what I gather, um, it is a very similar system. I'm not sure what, um, you know, standards are being built to. I did, I do have somewhere in my crazy um, files mm -hmm that when I was going through the Good Health Pass, I found an open file Google Doc, and it showed how countries were fulfilling the global standards for vaccine verification systems, and China was listed on there. So I don't remember off the top of my head exactly what they're doing, but there are global specifications, right? China's not using SMART. That's right. an entity. Um, the UK is not using SMART. That's right. But they are using standards that align with that and that are interoperable. Um, so and then in terms of social credit scoring system, um, you know, that's essentially is what's happening over in China is that they do have a social credit scoring system. You're given a number and that number goes down based on behavior. Right. And so I imagine not being vaccinated knocks you down. Right. If that's the requirement. And so you can imagine here in the States, if we are enacting an initial key that is very similar to um, a social credit scoring system, it, you can imagine a slippery slope and maybe a very short slope into such a system. Yeah. And the reason I say this, and this is like, you know, most of the people who, who I have been, who have helped me understand this moment in terms of data and surveillance and the states and, and the state in terms of what's happening, most of those folks would probably say that China and the US are ultimately working together to create this whole global system. Mm -hmm. That is not how I see it. Okay. I'll be honest. I actually think they are competing. And that question is important for me because I expect that their systems are similar, but I'm actually expecting that there is a, a global competition between two systems for who has access to whose data, both within their own country and globally. And this is how I understand the, the competition over vaccination, like how you, Russia pushing its vaccine, China pushing its vaccine, 
All of this is about who gets who on a vaccine to get to on a passport, to get onto into an ID system, which means you have access to their data. It also means you have access to their labor. It's like they become part of your labor force globally, as opposed to the U.S.'s labor force. So if they are really working to, if those systems really were like, if there wasn't a, a, a wall between them, that would suggest that there is this global thing. But I'm believing that there's going to be a wall between those systems, even as they're similar systems, because I don't think China is looking to share data with the United States. Yeah, I mean, and that is the big question, right? And it's it's uh, and one of the ways I understand it, which I don't know that it's accurate, but that it's it's there's China, there's the United States, and then there's the people running the show, and that the people running the show can shift uh, allegiances at any given time, right? So it does seem that there is like a Pacific Rim economy is where we're headed. And that's been since we digitized education, right? Mm -hmm. There is a big shift to push the economy to like the Pacific Rim and that country, you know, Singapore, China, Asian countries, they were going to be sort of the new um, sort of epicenters of movement for commerce, for the economy. So if, if it's just a matter of allegiances are shifting and the U.S. Is, is kind of lowering in its ranks in power. That could be happening, right? Mm -hmm. But one thing that's inevitable is once you create, so remember at the heart of this was the W3C, which is the World Wide Web, right? And that they are interested in creating, well, they've been creating a semantic web since 2006, but they're also, you know, moving. And I, if people that are technically savvy are listening to this, just please, you know, I understand I'm limited in my knowledge, but um, that if they're creating, you know, this one web, this one giant system that is capable of managing the globe, all biological life, right? And all production as well, that if that is possible and they can get this interoperable system going, that there is going to be no way to prevent people from knowing everything. And that is, I think, the fear, right? Is once the only way to get to singularity or to get to really advanced artificial intelligence is to have open data. So I think there's a lot of competing interests, right? I think you have the people that are interested in the markets. They're interested in the data to bundle and monetize and keep gambling and playing the game. There are people at the very top who are quite creepy futurists that are interested in living forever by uploading their consciousness, right? I mean, those people exist. I don't know why you would. I mean, <laughs> could God get me out of here sooner rather than later, as far as I'm concerned at this point? But uh, you have that. Uh, so, and then, you know, you have all the levels of that. But the one thing I always go back to in terms of hope is that these guys, th these people's aspirations, like all these corporations and all of these consortiums, their aspirations far exceed their capabilities always. And so I think that's where we have some hope. This is going to be really, really messy. And especially what you were saying, Eduardo, when you like there, you know, there's a large portion of the population that the, you know, blacks, Hispanics that are unvaccinated. And when New Yorkers and San Franciscans and people in Los Angeles start seeing that, oh, we have a line of people outside that we're not going to let into a restaurant of color. Right. Black and brown. What? Right. Like, I, th I think it's going to get messy and I could be wrong about that. But these systems are not going to work as seamlessly as they claim they are, but they will get them through if we continue to be ignorant. Right. 
And so how do you educate people about things that are already happening when as soon as you speak about it, you sound like a conspiracy theorist? No, I think those are important questions, you know, that when it comes to like who's running the show uh, and for what end, um, you know, I think similarly to Lipson that, you know, ultimately we live in a global capitalist system and capitalism is about competition. You know, it's not about cooperation. Uh, and that, you know, even though it might seem that there's cooperation, you know, there are uh, opposing ruling classes that ultimately will come to a head because they're fighting for all the chips, not to share the chips. You know, and, and, you know, all these things that we're talking about here add up, you know, to what I call capitalism, you know, and, and yes, there are actors that contradict themselves and sometimes reinforce themselves. Um, but ultimately, like we said, no one's really driving the bus. The drive is, you know, the motivation here is profit. You know, the motivation is, and, and for profit, you need social control, you need passports. That's what I think, you know, that in order to understand what's happening globally, not just here locally, you have to understand how capitalism functions, what the role of borders are, what the role of passports are, you know, what are the role of education and capitalism is, and also how propaganda is, you know, is employed to create consensus in, in a society. You know, um, you know, in order to understand this moment, we had to understand 2008, 2001, you know, Vietnam, we had to, you know, we can go, we had to understand slavery, you know, and, and so it boils down to that, you know, to me, you know, uh, Capitalism and the fear that we've mentioned here is that inevitably all these technologies, just like World War One, World War Two, you know, when a power, an imperial power, is going down, you know, it, it, some I think uh, uh, John Kleisek said this that it took two wars to drive out uh, the, the uh, British Empire, and so you know the U.S. is dwindling, you know, its power is dwindling. Uh, there is a new player, you know, in, in town. Uh, and the fear here in those world wars exhibited the highest degrees of viciousness of the time. The, mo the technological advancements were in display and fuel fury at the time. And so all these technologies, we're talking about the technology that DARPA, right, bringing back to that, that is developing, you know, in order to, you know, to synthesize with the state. You know, we, we've talked about how in, you know, gearing up to war, uh, corporations in the state you know, synthesize, and, and that is what's happening in, in a way, I think. And so the biggest fear, yes, of course, losing our sense of self, losing, um, you, know, them, you know, this corporation telling us who we are, you know, telling us about our health, you know, losing our agency. But ultimately, you know, there is no way to hide from this for me. You know, it, it ultimately might, will, I think it will devolve into a massive conflict, you know, that we're, will be similar to the Terminator type of thing. Right. You know, look, look at sci-fi, you know, you, you like sci-fi. <laughs> I was watching the Minority Report pre-crime. Yeah. You know, I was watching the Matrix, right? Connected to a system, you know, that, that, that constructs a reality. Yeah. And so, you know, in that way is what I can talk about this. And again, I have the frame of analysis of Marxism, you know, to kind of understand how these players, you know, because those dynamics haven't changed. You know, there are still competing interests. In uh, the level of violence is ultimately, you know, burdened by the people at the bottom that are, have to go fight those wars. We're caught in between those two powers, or those multiple powers, you know, vying for the the most common or valuable resource. And in this case, is data. You know, that's where we. In in so. That's well, what I. You know, what's interesting too, um, 
just as a reminder that, you know, the vaccine credential initiative, one of the organizations that sort of spearheading that is MITRE, right? And MITRE came about during World War II. Hmm. And it is a partnership with DARPA, right? That this is a militarized system that we are building. And make no mistake, there's no way you could have something that is going to create an identity of, you know, for each individual on the planet that's interoperable, that is not connected to security issues of, you know, related to DARPA and Homeland Security, right? This is we are in the thick of a war, so to speak. It's just yeah. one we mm-hmm. have never, could never have imagined. I don't have much to add, but I, I, I am interested more in um, following up with trying to figure something out of your presentation, like what we can, what I can do, or someone could take up to make a slide um, presentation as well for what's happening here in San Francisco, because I think a lot of friends here are very doubtful. And if you just follow the money and if you just, you just see and lay it out the way that you have brilliantly done, uh, then I will be able to then, you know, share what, what is being done to us. I, I just don't see how people are very trusting of their governments these days, but you know, liberal SF, I don't know where you stand politically, and you don't have to state it if you don't wish, Jessica, but here, liberal SF, I don't know where we've gone. And my team on the left is just, we went from the 60s to resisting the man to suddenly becoming co-conspirators or complicit. This yeah. is just disheartening for me, so. Well, and, you know, the only thing I, I, I joke and I call myself a smally anarchist, right? It's like, the, and I, I sort of joke because I'm, I, of course, everybody's political to a certain extent. And it's like, I get political when my kids are involved. Like, that's where I'm willing to put my, go out on a limb and to, right, rubber meet the road, so to speak. Lots of strange mixed metaphors here. But I, I think the one thing that I see that is the most problematic, because I live in a conservative community, and I'll be the first to say in these groups, like, you know, it's like, what what America are you fighting for? Because it's so violent and it's so harsh, right? And it's like, once you're kind of outside of a political left-right paradigm, you you can see a little bit more clearly. I, and I don't claim to see 100% accurately, but the biggest problem we have now as, as people and people who hopefully want to stay free and our kids and our families and loved ones to stay free is that we have to quit this uh, two-party tyranny because that's what we have. We are living in a two-party tyranny and we quit paying attention and we go to sleep as soon as the person who makes us more comfortable is in power. And it's the same, it's essentially, we've had the same administration for, you know, the, I don't know, the last 20 years, it's like you look and if you look at the legislation that gets passed and what gets continued, it's, it's, it's one government and they divide us in order to get this stuff through. That's what I see anyways. And so the biggest thing I think we can do is refuse to talk left, right, and just talk about facts, right? We have to bring it back to the facts and the facts are heady and they're uncomfortable. Um, but if if we're not going to smart up as people, then we're going to be forced to be dumbed down and controlled by tech, like in a ways we probably can't even imagine. And just one what? thought, like yeah. For me, um, you know, also for me, it's important to listen to the people that sound the craziest. You know, if, if you follow the cramps, you know there are cramps there, and 
and actually validate you know people's concerns you know because if people are speaking out and being loud about something you know it's because they have a concern and they care um and so you know for me it's like i'm weary of the people that want to socially engineer and socially and biologically engineer a new world you know whether they they mean it you know they mean well or not you know um that plays right into the hands of you know uh this corporations, you know, the people that run capitalism, you know, the way I see the world. And so, you know, so basically it's, you know, trust your gut. You know, if it doesn't feel right, like, you know, fight it, you know, don't, you know, persist, you know, and don't give up your, because this is about self-determination and losing our own humanity in my, in myself and in putting ourselves in danger ultimately. Yeah. And, this has made me think about two things as you were talking, Jessica. Um, number one is as important as this information is, I think about India and I think about the resistance of the farmers in India who did not have access to this PowerPoint when they went and tore down 5G towers um, as part of their resistance. What they had was an innate distrust of everyone at the top. And I do agree with you on that game that it's like, I don't trust Trump. Okay, Biden's in. Okay, I trust Biden. I don't trust Biden. Okay, Trump's in. I trust him. that trust must be broken. And that is the thing that the US the US state and the US ruling class is getting over on us is they keep finding ways of getting different sections to trust them in some way. But if you at the end of the day say these people have it in for me, they have it in for my neighbor, they have it in for people across the across the way, they have it in for the people of Afghanistan or Yemen or even Saudi Arabia. The US rulers are no no friend of anybody in Saudi Arabia except the the people who are ruling there. So we have to stop thinking that these people can be trusted. And anyway, we have to assume that they're lying. But one thing that's happened is in this is listening to this presentation. And I think sometimes you also kind of were saying, Jessica, that like if there's ways that this technology could be used, increase. I used to think like these technologies could could be used to emancipate. I actually did think that that, and that was my own vision of socialism would have been part of using these technologies. I am starting, I don't, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying I am starting to think as we keep coming back to DARPA, DARPA, everything is just DARPA, that these technologies are technologies of extraction of us, like some version of extracting from us. And I've already come to the point of believing that tech has to be ripped out of education. I am now at this point of just thinking the whole thing's got those, that all that infrastructure is going to have to be like copper wire taken out and we will have to live anew in a different way with all that shit gone. Cause I don't think, it, I don't think it was made and intended to create it as a, as a way of bringing us together. It, it's got DARPA too much in it and they had something else in mind and we'll have to create a new way of connecting. I don't, I don't necessarily believe this is going to be the way. So that, that's one thing I'm thinking is like this whole, it's not just the system has to be revolutionized in this political system we're going to have to undo a lot of shit we've built. Well, and it's also too, it's like the perspective from it, right? Like it's all happened so fast in our lifetimes. And, and, and as we're, you know, these next generations that are coming up, that it's the water they swim in. They can't see anything else but this technology. They don't know a world. And I, it's like, I don't know how old or young everybody is, but I grew up with a phone on the wall. 
right? And and you like your your like extension there. I think you guys on the bottom here are too young, but your extension there, uh, you know, you had a long cord if you wanted privacy, right? It's like that that was the deal. Um, so that it's they can't imagine, right? They, they how fast things have changed in these iterations. But again, it's like, I don't, I, I don't know. It's interesting, right? What we do, we create um, and we destroy. It seems much easier to destroy than to create. And it's like, I don't know how you use these systems in a way that is free. And I think you're right that it's, I mean, that's my inclination too. Although I don't see it. I don't, I can't picture how that happens, yeah. right? Um, or that it happens for everybody. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that one, and it scares me because it's, you know I have kids, and it's the world they're gonna they're gonna grow up in. You know, I haven't I have a niece who uh, or cousin's daughter who just got her first job out of school, and um, she's a fashion designer and her first job is with a company called genies and she's going to be designing clothes for avatars right? oh my god and it's and it's brilliant right it's a brilliant company i mean it's seated oh. at 25 million it's worth 125 million now before it's even launched um it's it's going to be brilliant right and yeah. it, but it's it's like the, this is their world, and they don't see that these avatars are going to go into pump, into spaces for them. That this is going to be their existence, and I don't, I, um, I don't see that how that happens. Um, I don't know how we get out of it, right? Yeah. But I do like what you said about what's happening in India, right? That's powerful, and so I guess the perspective to see what's happening, like we need some distance so that we can be critical of these systems that are going up and around us. And that's what I think is missing, missing from this conversation. We're all so afraid right now. And you're afraid if you're on the anti-vax side and you're afraid if you're on the back side, you're afraid if you're in the middle, you're just afraid right now because everything is so chaotic, right? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we sort of push that fear down in order to get to a space of clarity and a place of discernment. But that's what we need right now. Um, some real hard critical thinking about <clears throat> the water we're swimming in and it's hard. Yeah. Jessica, you said that you were, your, your, your niece is creating, um, designing for avatars. Are you talking about avatars like the online sort of, so from what I understand, it's, they launched last year and there were a few stars who made avatars in their exact likeness, you know, and they have, I don't know if Genies is using this, but I know Deloitte, which is, you know, Deloitte, the big um, company, HR company, but they, they have, um, they were, they have a informational that shows the future of fashion and basically you don't go to stores anymore to shop you have military mapping done of your physical body and you upload that and then your your digital likeness tries on clothes right and you can get the real product sent to you i know right it's crazy it's on the deloitte website um but for the avatars I am under, there are already people who are going to meetings with their avatars, right? And they're teaching their classes, they're lecturing. So it's an avatar created in their likeness. I don't know if they're using the military mapping technology to get the exact likeness, but then she's going to be designing clothes for the avatars and it'll be just like regular clothes in the real world. They are literally building a data market, which is what a sustainable circular economy is, where 
there's no waste except for the waste of powering these very expensive systems, right? Because it's, I mean, this technology isn't happening without consequence to the environment, mm-hmm. but they're, yeah, they are um, creating clothes for the avatars and you buy the clothes with real, you know, you're paying money and your avatar, you know, are you wearing Gucci or are you wearing Target? It's what can you afford? It used to happen just in games where you could do that. It's a, now, yeah. now, like you, Facebook recently launched another uh, like effort, like made public about having virtual meetings, you know, where you create an avatar. So I imagine that's where like, you know, you can buy clothes so you can look good for that virtual meeting, you know, like literally have a, a digital version of yourself representing you. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's scary to see how like all these things connect. <clears throat> I mean, add on to that the contact tracing and the like the Cura Patient app, the the pilot for Cura Patient at the uh, Long Beach and DC VAs. One of the things they're doing with those patients, and these are veterans, right, military veterans. But one of the things they can do is they can know if they broke quarantine. Right. So you imagine we have some sort of an environmental crisis or some sort of health crisis that causes us to be locked down in our, you know, physical surroundings and we're geofenced to a small parameter perimeter. Um, it's like you're going to be forced into those digital realities, the more robust they get. Um, I just had a thought, you know, because like some of us are concerned about, you know, the environmental degradation you know the swings in you know in the environment and i almost wonder you know is this a way for them to make money where we're sheltering from nature oh i think so absolutely and to have access to it right like they get all the access to it um yeah just i think for me what comes up for me as you were saying that is i'm very concerned about the socio-emotional aspect of it for our kids as someone that fostered and raised a child myself, as well as the co-parent of my nephew, I'm constantly thinking about their social-emotional awareness and their the child development aspect to all of this, just how much our children are just going to be hooked up, connected to the internet and lose the humanistic aspects of themselves to be able to socialize, to be able to connect with people. And it really, as an educator, as well as someone that's involved in my child my nephew's life and helping my brother out through all of this it's just it just doesn't I feel as if we're going backwards and or not backwards rather future wise but just we're not considering all of the psychological damaging yeah. issues that we'll be confronting so anyhow no and when I first heard you guys I'll say this and I know it's been a long, long meeting but when I I first listened to you or this What's Left podcast was uh, you guys did, you were talking about how militarized the safety requirements were and what kids were going to be facing when they came back into school was going to almost be worse, right, than being online in some way. And I was blown away to hear somebody else, you know, a group of educators that were so clear on that because uh, from what I've seen, people are so comfortable with what's happening to these kids, right? And I mean, a lot of that masking and distancing, and we are acclimating them for exactly what you were just saying, what we're afraid of are these isolated, you know, sort of trapped existences where their only way out is through the screen. Um, and I think, and I, that's when I say, I say this, that I think once people understand what's coming, nobody wants it. 
right? They, or very few people. I have a nephew who said I was made for this pandemic, right? Um, he, he's happy as can be just gaming and staying in his room. But I think the large portion of humanity does not want what these guys are offering us. So how do you raise the narrative, flip the script? Um, one of the things I tell people is equity equals surveillance, right? It's, that is what they mean by equity. And so pay attention to whose mouth that word is coming out of. I think I'm done. I don't have any other questions. This was a very informative. Yeah, no, I, Jessica, this was great. I, I mean, I do think anybody who looks at this can understand what's happening in San Francisco. It's just the, the, the specific names of the apps are maybe a different, but you can see where it's all shunting towards. Jessica, you mentioned someone, something like Hearts of the Hexagon blog by someone. Yeah, that's uh, Julianne Romanello, and she's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She's also on Facebook, and she's, you know, she posts pretty prolifically, but um, Hearts Over Hexagon. And then the other person that I read a lot that I think is useful in terms of technology and environmental is Corey Morningstar. She's in Canada. You guys are probably familiar with her work as well. I mean, there's so many, that's a crazy thing about this last year is I've met so many smart, intelligent, like really articulate people that, um, that see so clearly, but it's the problem is, is that their work is heady and it's dense right? Because these are, these are troubling times. And so you can't break it down to a tweet. You got to, you know, read a little deeper, but yeah. And then Alison McDowell, Wrench in the Gears. She's another yeah. one. I think most of You them. remind me of somewhat of also Lynn uh, uh, Davenport. <laughs> Lynn oh, Davenport, yeah. Yeah, Alison McDowell, all yeah. these people, just wonderful, yeah. you know, underground activists or or resistance workers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. A lot of people don't feel comfortable with the word activist, but I see them as like resistance workers, you know, so. No, I always joke. I'm always like, I'm not an activist. Like I'm just, yeah. I'm, this is my first podcast, by the way, you guys. I've never done this before, so. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I would certainly. Class that I, yeah. <laughs> I think if the NSC was really doing it, they would really be watching mothers a little bit more closely because all y'all are just spending too much time together talking. Yeah, we're kind of badass, so, yeah. <laughs> and I just wanted to say thank you for all the work that you do. You know, this, uh, you know, takes a lot. You know, I have an obsessive compulsive, uh, you know, uh, propensity, I guess. But, you know, I, I appreciate it. It takes a lot of work. And, you know, I can imagine that it might also take a personal cost, right, like to be talking about these things that are not to be supposed to be questioned because, you know, in the name of public safety. So, you know, thank you. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate it. I'm going to listen to this podcast myself again. You know, it, it's a lot. and But I think it's very important. And I have a better understanding of what's happening here now in San Francisco. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Really appreciate the space to talk. So thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Jessica. Um, that does it for this week's episode. Um, What's Left is a weekly political podcast as channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.webnode.com. Um, you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you fancy anything you liked here or have heard here, excuse me, please subscribe 
Uh, share your favorite episode, rate, review um, to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, or YouTube, or Telegram. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I'm Eduardo Barca um, with co-host Kenny Cepeda and Andy Lipson. And thank you very much, Jessica. And we'll see you all next time.